0: Greetings this morning in Jesus name. It's good to see you all here and greeting to the visitors. Blessing to see you here. Surprises are a blessing sometimes. In this case they are. Not so much yesterday. <clears throat> so uh, Thank you, Joshua, for that first message this morning. Without the Lord, we wouldn't have any open doors, and we're glad for that. Before I give you the title this morning, I'm going to ask a question. What in this room right now is eternal. I want you to think and I want like an answer. What in this room is eternal? Our souls. Our souls. Okay. I'm glad you said our souls because thought we but that mean my hands, my foot, my head. Our souls, okay. Anything else? God's word. Does that mean this book? Does it mean the words of the book, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. That's in Mark thirteen, thirty one. Isaiah forty verse eight says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So we have our souls that are be that'll live forever, will be forever, we have the word of God. Both of them originate from God. Both our souls and the word of God is God breathed. It's God breathed, and when God breathes into something, it becomes eternal. So this morning, I would like to speak about the light of the Word of God. I was asked some time ago whether I would speak on the Word of God, and this morning is the morning. The title is The Light of the Word of God. I heard this story a long time ago. I don't know even where I heard it or who gave it, but I re- never forgot this story. It was about a situation on a mission outpost where they were, there was a mission outpost at the edges of civilization in the jungle. And near the end of a day, one day, a man comes out of the jungle, comes to the outpost for help of some kind, but they were busy, they had some other things going, they not have time to attend to him that day, so they took him, they assigned a little cabin, a little hut for him for the night, and, um, and they'll take care of him till the next morning. As they were getting him ready to put him in the hut, they remembered, oh, there's a light bulb is burned out in the hut. So they gave the man a bulb to replace. But the man had never seen a light bulb before. He had no idea what it is or what it does. So he went into this little cabin, and they locked the door for security's sake. So he was in for the night. And just as it was getting dark, just before it was altogether dark, he noticed a poisonous snake creeping towards him in the deepening darkness. And so he used the only weapon that he had on this snake, which was this light bulb. And, well, you know what happened. And so he spent the rest of the night in the dark with a poisonous snake. Locked up in a hut in completely complete darkness alone with a snake, and that would actually be the picture of all of mankind if God would have just abandoned Adam and Eve, and they gave in to the devil they um, he could have When they caved in the devil, God could have just walked away and he could have just said, okay, if that's what you want, then that's what you have. You, You made your bed, now lie in it. If God had not reached out in reconciliation, if he would not have provided light, we today would be in complete darkness, locked up in a hut for the rest of our eternal life with a poisonous snake. Without God's intervention, our lives would have been intolerable and hopeless. They would have been intolerable now and hopeless for the future. And the reason I gave this illustration is to help us to see the horribleness we would be in if God would not have given us any light. If he would not have spoken at all, if he would not have spoken to anyone, if he would have not have inspired any of the prophets, if he would have had no scriptures that were breathed in, it would have been written. And there would have been nothing, nothing but my darkened heart, your darkened heart, in a dark world, our own self and sin and our own yeah, sin-inspired motives and actions. And as we think about it, God, human humankind is even with God's intervention. God did intervene. Even with God's intervention, mankind is wicked enough. Just think of Cain. Cain. God intervened with Cain. Cain had Cain was going the wrong direction, and you know God intervened. And Cain still killed his brother. So even with intervention, mankind is wicked. But without any intervention, Abel would have been as wicked as Cain. Just imagine that. And it's a real possibility that humanity would have destroyed itself, bitten by the snake as it was. But God did give us light. And in Psalms 119, 105, some of you can quote it, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Therefore, because of that, we are not left up, locked up in the dark with a poisonous snake forever. So God intervened. He did reach out to Adam and Eve, and to their descendants. God spoke to people privately. He spoke to the prophets who proclaimed and wrote down his word. He gave, God gave his people a law. There were prophets who wrote history, they wrote law, they wrote poetry, they wrote wisdom, they wrote wrote sermons of warning, and they wrote prophecies about the future. In time, there came what we know as the Old Testament. Now, at that time, it wasn't known as the Old Testament. It was known as the Law and the Prophets or the Scriptures, and we have Jesus himself. I'll just read here in one verse in Luke 24, verse 27, when Jesus was on that road to Emmaus with those disciples, and they were... Discussing there, and then he said this, and beginning, no, he didn't say that, he did this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that was the Old Testament, and just like there was no World War I until there was World War Two. There was no Old Testament until there was a New Testament. So this was the scriptures, the Moses and the prophets, the scriptures. And Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, and this is in in a paraphrase translation, I think. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So now we see two different. He has spoken. Now he has spoken to us because his son came, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus as the Son of God. But Jesus didn't write any scripture. You know that. Jesus didn't write it. The only incident we have of Jesus writing is when he wrote on the ground when that woman was being accused of being in adultery. He wrote that the only incident we have of him writing, it wouldn't be for that, we think, well, could Jesus even write? We're pretty confident he could. But Jesus specifically trained 12 men to establish a people of God based on a new covenant. And so they preached, they established churches, they prayed, they baptized, they taught. They were given this specific promise the evening before Jesus was crucified. And that's in John 16... Verses 12 and 13. We'll soon sometime get to our text, but you don't have to turn here. I'll just read a few verses here. Here's the promise that the disciples were given in the upper room there. Jesus said to them, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And I take that verse to mean specifically to the, to the disciples as, as the apostles, as laying the foundation of the church. The Spirit was going to guide them. He was going to tell them even the things that Jesus couldn't teach them at that point. And he was going to show them things to come. They are going to have prophecies. And so we have a flurry of new revelation that was eventually written. So everything that we call the New Testament had been written and inspired by God through the Spirit in response to the coming and the work of Jesus Christ. So, in contrast to that dark, that man, that poor man in that dark hut, we have a flood of light. God has provided abundant illumination for mankind. He's done it for thousands of years, and we have it today. So for a text you can turn to Psalms nineteen this morning. I was actually looking in a psalm book and that song that I picked this morning that no one knew is a psalm is a song based on this psalm. There's actually two specific songs that are based on this psalm in our psalm book that we have here. <clears throat> Psalms nineteen is a psalm of David And if you are familiar with it, it can be divided into three different... It has three different divisions in it. The first six verses are is the revelation of God's glory in creation. It's a declaration of the glory of God. And then the next division is verses 7 to 9, which is a... um, Revelation of God's glory in his word. And so in those two, you have God's world book, and then you have God's word book. And then the third division is the God-given desire of the person to whom God's glory is revealed and accepted. So we're going to read the first division now You can follow along here. Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he sent a tabernacle for the sun, which as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. This is called general revelation. Creation gives undeniable evidence of some powerful and glorious being, as being the source of it. David, just think of David as he was out in the hills, and we heard about David again this morning in the children's lesson. David out in the hills, and he's, he's, he's there from morning till evening. He sees the sun, and then he's there during the night, and he sees the stars. And in that whole thing, he worships God. I don't know if this song was written at that point or not. Probably not, but he had, he had a, a first row seat of the creation of God. Unlike today, we live in civilization, and most of our, our area here, you can't hardly even see the stars. My children don't know what the Milky Way is. Imagine that. When I was a boy, we could see the Milky Way. Hardly can see it anymore here. But. Creation. David had a front row seat to it, and so he understood it well. And I, I know, uh, I don't know all the scientific ins and outs. I know that this whole scenario that creation is not eternal, and if it's not eternal, it had to have a beginning. And if it had to have a beginning, it had to have a beginner. And you can make this whole logic. There's, there's, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to not believe in a designer. Now, one of the main arguments I heard this recently—one of an arg—not a main argument—but one of the arguments of an atheist—is this. Well, uh, to the Christian, to the Christian specifically. Well, if God—not not, not God—if man is the focus, if he's the purpose of why God made creation why is man such a small part of it? Like he's just a speck of dust on a little planet around a mediocre star in a regular galaxy among trillions of galaxies. And here's this. If man is the real focal point, why is he such a small part? Good question, right? What would you say? If he's, a, if he's the focus of God's creation, he should definitely have a bigger footprint. Well, God actually gives an answer. It's in, Re- in Revelation four eleven, and where the people in heaven, the beings in heaven, are worshiping. And they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God made everything for himself, not for man. Now it's clearly, 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 he made the world to be inhabited. He created the whole world, and then he made man. That is a focal point. But he made the creation. As a revelation of himself, of his glory and power, and we have really no idea what's all out there. I I already seen a graph. We have, you know, we have our vantage point where we can see the heavens. We're talking about the heavens now. You can also go the other way and you can go with a microscope and you can go smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you can't go, and yet you know there's more there. You can't see it. But because because of our galaxy being uh, so many billions of stars we can't actually see through it so whatever's beyond there we can't see so what we can see is only a small part of what's actually out there and and it's the vastness of it and uh, just the sheer multitude of number of it and everything like that. It's its a revelation of God's power and glory. To assemble such a vast creation is so, yeah, so come back, so the, answering the atheist question, okay, so man is not the fault, fo- but just look at what God did. It doesn't really let you off the hook. In fact, it, it puts you on it. It's God's world book, creation is. It reveals some of the magnificence and the splendor of God. As such, it is a revelation. It's a revelation of God. Our God is an awesome God. Romans 1, familiar verses here, verses 19 and 20, because that which may be known of God, is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. Talking about the unbelievers there, the ones who suppress the truth, talking about the atheists and, and others. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Through everything God made, they can, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Creation is enough to cause mankind to be responsible. Every last atheist, every last agnostic, every last person who ignores God, as the Bible says, is without excuse. There is no rationale, there is no philosophical reason to not see God in creation. But, so creation provides enough revelation so that a man is without excuse, excuse, but the world book, as it's called, is limited though. It's limited in several ways. How is creation revelation limited? Well, it's, it's not full, it's not complete, and it's not perfect. And so, in Psalms 19, we now come to a shift. We have God's the, the revelation through creation. But now we have made a shift because the revelation of creation isn't perfect, it's not complete, and it's not full. So let's read on here. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So now we are not talking about God revealing himself in creation. We're no longer talking about the world book. We're talking about the word book. See, creation is magnificent, but creation will not last forever. But the word is eternal. See, I want us to know that we are making a huge shift here. As glorious as creation is, we're making a huge shift here. We're making a shift from incomplete to complete, from imperfect to perfect from insufficient to sufficient, and from temporal to eternal. And so there have been millions and millions of books been written. But God only wrote one book. Millions and millions of books are then revised after they're written. But God's book needs no revision. No updating. We have something here. Okay, so verses 7 to 9, as we're going to go down through here, they are a series of parallel statements. In, in these th- three verses, we have six titles for scriptures. We have six characteristics of scripture. And then we have six Benefits or effects of scriptures. And we have a single repetition of the source of scripture, which is of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. So that we don't ever forget that. So let's look at this. The, the word book that God has given what he says here in the psalm. So uh, just to give you a description of far as, I went a little bit ahead of myself here. We have the title of the word, we had the characteristics, and we had the benefit and effect, and I'm going to just show it. So uh, the first verse there, "The law, that's the title of the Lord, that's the source, is perfect. that's the characteristics converting the soul. That's the benefit or the effect. And you can go, the testimony, the title, of the Lord, the source, is sure, the characteristics, making wise, the simple, the benefit, and so on. That's how that goes. So, the law of the Lord. Law. How many of us jump up and down when we hear the word law? When we receive a law. We are, by nature, I think I can pretty well say that we are, by nature, rebels. We do not like to be told what to do. We like our autonomy. We like to choose and live out our own dreams. And here comes a law. Would it make a difference if you view the law a little differently let's imagine you view the law as an owner's manual and when you buy anything manufactured whether it's a simple knife sharpener or it's uh, your automobile or a complex machinery it comes with a manual to discru- to to uh, for safety and uh, how to use it properly, and how to get the most use out of it, and how to take care of it, and, and the, whole, the, whole, the whole scope of things. An owner's manual is given by the manufacturer who has dreamt it up, run through all the difficulty of designing it, assembling it, marketing it, the whole, the whole nine yards. He has a vested interest in it. And he sent a manual with this piece that you now have. Because he wants you to understand it. Well, we are much more complex than any machine, are we not? So when we get a manual to something that we don't understand and we ignore it, we do it at our own peril. And when we have a manual from our creator, and we ignore it, we do it at our own pearl. Because we are much, much more complex than any machine you could imagine. The space shuttle, which I don't know how many millions of parts it has, it's very complex. You are more complex than a space shuttle. By far. And here we have an owner's manual given to us. Now, maybe you have more interest in it. It's not a law. It's a manual. We, God provided with us a manual for the proper care and use of us as free-willing biological machines who actually, we'll read a little later, we're actually... I hadn't thought of it till now, but, well usually when you get a new machine, it's in pristine condition. (laughs) We're actually in recall mode. (laughs) We, we, we come broken. Not God's fault. Not the manufacturer's fault. It was because of the past. But we come broken. We actually have a manual how to put us together. God is our creator, and he knows us inside and out, and he has a purpose for us. And he gave us a law. He gave us a prescribed way in which to operate for safety and for our maximum benefit. What about the characteristics of this law, this manual, this word? Well, it is perfect. The law is perfect. Now, I I looked at the word perfect, and uh, I'm not as good in Hebrew. I'm not real good in Greek either, as far as that goes, but I understand Greek better than Hebrew. But this word perfect, the way it was used mostly in the Old Testament is when it talked about sacrifices. It talks without blemish. You bring a sacrifice, it has to be without blemish. Well, that's the same word as here. So you have to bring a perfect sacrifice, and you can say the law of the Lord is without blemish. It's perfect. So there's one requirement when the Old Testament, whether you bring a lamb or a goat or a ram or an ox or whatever you bring, any sacrifice you bring, it had to be without blemish. So the law of the Lord is without blemish. It is without error. But perfect is even more than just that. Perfect is more than without error. Because that's a negative, and that's right. It is without error. But it's positive in the sense that it is perfect, it is complete. It's, it's sufficient. There is nothing left out. This owner's manual to, to solve your issues of life Everything is in there that you need. You don't need to go to another manual. You don't need to Google. It's it's all here. It's perfect. It's sufficient. It's complete. It doesn't neglect anything and there's nothing missing. Well, what does this perfect law accomplish? It converts the soul. Now, Convert. The main use of this word in Hebrew is actually the word "return," and that is actually why why um, a lot of translations use the word "restore." But the first time that this is used, and it's used one of many, many times, is in uh, Genesis thirteen nineteen, and it says, "In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till." Thou return, there's the word. Thou return, till thou, thou convert unto the ground. Till thou, thou return unto the ground, for out of it was taken. For unto, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Again, the same word is twice in this verse. So, the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul, or converts the soul. Either word is valid, but restore gives a a a, it gives a more fuller understanding because, like I said earlier, and I had even thought of this as I was preparing it, that we have an owner's manual how to operate, but we actually have an owner's manual how to get restored. We need to be restored. It's like it's like a, a it's like a salvage yard where you have this junked cars. And, and you take a car off that junk heap and you put it into your shop and you restore it. That's actually the picture that we have here. And that's actually what the Word of God does. It restores. It restores the soul. And uh, that actually uh, converts the soul. And that was my next point there. Convert, it means to restore. It's a uh, it's, it's a transformation. And it's comprehensive. And then what is converted? Not the body. It's the soul. It's the inner person. The very heart of a person. It's your inner being. Your motives. Not just your actions. But your very heart. That the word of God converts and restores. Peter says, We are born again. By the word of God, which abide, lives and abides forever. So, I like nature. And many of you like nature. Some of you like it more than others. We like forests. We like trees. We like lakes. We like waterfalls and wildlife and mountains and flowers. Rock formation, some of us. Nature is complementary for the glory of God. But it's the law that is perfect. It's the law that restores the soul. And I remember, uh, I think it was Leonard Martin that was talking to someone already that was on the new agey side, and he says he feels so close to God when he goes to nature. In fact, that's how he communes with God. He goes into nature, and that is his avenue to commune to God. And, of course, it was coming into, basically, earth worship is really what it was. And Leonard said, well, could you worship God if you were in a prison cell? (laughs) Many, many Christians have worshipped God in a prison cell. And he hadn't thought of that, and he wasn't sure if he could. That's because... Worshiping nature, God is not in nature. God is in the word of God. It's the word of God that converts and restores the soul. Nature is complementary. The testimony, let's go on here. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we have another title for God's word. It's called testimony now this is not looking at god's word as a law not as an owner's manual but we have god's testimony a testimony is a declaration of personal truth or something you saw or something you witnessed or it's a person it's it's some it's something i say a testimony is something that you give from your own self in court it's basically something maybe you observe, but if If I give, let's just say it this way, it's God giving his testimony of who he is and what he did and why he did it. I made the world because I wanted fellowship with man. I made the redemption because I wanted to bring men back to me. It's it's the testimony. The word of God is a disclosure of himself and his character and his will. Uh, that one song that we didn't sing this morning either, uh, there's two songs, like I said, in, in our psalm book that, ta- that is actually based on Psalms 19. And it talks, the one of them talks about creation, but then it says, but in your word we see yourself in fairer lines, something like that. And so we have God disclosing himself, giving his testimony, and his testimony what is the character of well, it sure because god's word is a perfect reflection of the nature of god you want to know what god is like and who god is it's in the scripture now my testimony today is different if i would give my testimony today it would be different than it than it was when i gave it 10 years ago it would be different from 20 years ago. And in 10 years from now, my testimony would be different than I would if I give it now. Because my, my perception and my experiences uh, cause me to look at things differently after some time. And so my testimony is not going to stay the same. There's going to be aspects that will be different. But God's word not going to change. His testimony is sure it doesn't ever need to change because God fully understands everything and he gets it right the first time talking about a testimony I thinking of Peter remember when Jesus now Jesus went up in the mountain of he got transfigured on that mount and Peter was up there and Peter had an experience uh, he never forgot that experience to see uh, Jesus was veiled in flesh, but then to have that veil taken away and to him to see the divinity of the Lord Jesus was a phenomenal experience. But it's interesting that when Jesus, when Peter later on talks about the word of God, he talks about that experiences. I think I have it written down here. Yeah, I do have. He talks about that experience when we were with him on the Holy Mount, but then he talks about something else. He says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day's dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So he's talking about earlier about his experience, but he said there's actually something more sure than experience. We all have experiences. We all have, well, we have our ideas. We have, I think I have it written down. We have eyewitness accounts, we have maybe maybe we have experienced miracles and there's a lot of things that we experience. But there is something that is more sure than any man's experience. That even Peter said, "We have a more sure word of prophecy." It's the word of God that is more sure than what I saw on the mount, which I was pretty sure I saw. <laughs> But when a push comes to shove, the word of God will trump any experience, any vision, any dream, any miracle you have. You come back to the more sure word. Because holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when we have the testimony of the Lord... It's a sure word. It is sure. Oh, making wise the simple. I thought I missed something here. What's the benefit here? Well, it makes wise the simple. What does the word of God do? What does the testimony of the God do? And here's where we're actually going to zero into the first message a little bit. the word picture for simple is simply open or roomy, an open door. <laughs> have it written down here? It's, it's not restricted. A simple is, a, is someone who's not restricted. You have an open mind. You have your liberal in thinking and liberal in experience. You're a free thinker. God's word will cure that disease. <laughs> See, a, a, a toddler, someone who, uh, or a pre-toddler, when they start, they put everything in their mouth. They are not discerning. If it's able to pick it up, if it's a piece, it goes in the mouth. Little discernment. Do you want an open door in the air intake of your car engine? Or would you want a little bit of restriction? See, a simple person is easily deceived and it's gullible. A benefit of the word of God is that it brings discernment. It makes wise the simple. When What do you call, what do you call, uh, that's how that's worked, is making, it makes the simple wise. When you have a simple person who is wise, what do you have? You no longer have a simple person, right? (laughs) That's the goal. He or she who once was simple is now wise. The testimony of the Lord is sure it will bring discernment. It will bring watchfulness. The door of your heart, the door of your life is no longer open and unguarded. It's restricted. What will enter into your life, what you will accept, what you will approve of is evaluated. And most of it is rejected, because their discipline has become the order of the day. The testimony of God does that. And here we have a verse in Psalms 119.99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Wow! I have more understanding than all my teachers. What an arrogant attitude. What do you think when you have a t- student... Eldon, that has more understanding than you? Well, there's a reason for it. For thy testimonies are my meditation. If the Lord's testimonies are your meditation, and I mean to talk about meditation and meditating and meditating, you may be wiser than your teacher's. Because the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Get into the word of God. The word of God comes in and takes over and shapes your life. The ability to see things the way they really are. Having heavenly insight and heavenly wisdom. Am I there? No. I am very far from where I am. Would like and need to be. But we have a way. We have a way. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart going on here. The statutes of the Lord are the doctrines, the teachings, and the principles of the Word of God. A contemporary word that is relevant to our day is a mandate. <laughs> the mandates of the Lord. Statutes of the Lord, you know, when we get a statute, a mandate, we don't like mandates. But the Lord's mandates, his principles are right. The Lord's mandates are straight. They're just. Some of the mandates that we have nowadays are, well, there are various places. But what is the effect of acceptance and experience of the Lord's statutes? Statutes. Well, you actually have it in acceptance of the Lord's statutes, which are right, they rejoice the heart. It's joy. when you When you have the statutes and the mandates of the Lord and experience them, you actually don't need to have a miracle. You don't need to have a voice from heaven. You don't actually need to have a, ve- a healing or a vision or a dream to have joy. You can maybe have a vision. You can have a dream. You can have a healing. Those are all those are okay. But to have joy is actually having the word of God in your heart and the confidence in it, the the security of it the The eternalness of it, the rewards of it, and all the things that come with having the Word of God settled in your heart brings joy because it's not just the Word of god it's the Lord of the Word that is with you in that in that word <clears throat> and there's joy if you actually. Have confidence and peace in God, in His Word, you will have joy. Self esteem, self purpose, self will, self fulfillment, and any other self that you can put in there will not bring joy. It's a lie, it's false. It's a deception to think that if I get this next thing, I will be happy. If I would just possess that, or have this relationship, or have this setting, or this experience, then I would be happy. It's a deception. It's not there. But the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's where joy is. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Going on here. Now, one thing about a commandment, one thing a commandment is not, is a suggestion. <laughs> the ten suggestions, like they say, tongue-in-cheek, We have the ten suggestions from God. (laughs) No. A commandment is not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not an optional thing. A commandment means it's it's authoritative. The Lord makes a propositional truth statement. And it's clear. And it's not subject to change. It's easy to see. It's easy to understand. It's not mysterious with some kind of hidden truth and some kind of secret interpretation. The Lord's commandments are clear. It's, it's like someone said, it's an open book test. You can go and look at the answers. <laughs> you don't have to try to do a test, but you can have the book. So the commandment is the commandment, it's of the Lord, and the commandment is pure. Like, like Psalms 12:6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Commandment is pure. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, there's a couple of verses here. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine on them. The reason I read that one is because is, it, the word is pure, but it also it, it, it enlightens the eyes. So the commandment of the Lord is pure and as such, as such, and it's accepted. You, you accept the commandment of the Lord, that clear commandment of God is not hidden and it's pure and you accept it in its purity. It enlightens your eyes. Rather than being darkening or muddled or confused like some of man's laws are. God's laws are not like that. Do you want to live your life in the dark? Or do you want to have your eyes enlightened? The choice is actually ours. If we reject the commandments of God... We will stay in darkness. But if we accept the commandments of God and as pure words, our eyes will be enlightened. We will have light. The commandment is a light, a lamp and a light to my feet. With the word of God, we can understand. We can understand the origin of the universe. We can understand the reason we were created and why we're here. And we can understand what's wrong with us and what, how to fix us. And we can understand where we're going. We can understand the end of the universe. Oh, not perfectly. <laughs> Hopefully not. But we can understand what's going to happen. And we can understand... To a large degree, what's going on now? The commandment of the Lord, it enlightens the eyes. In Psalms one nineteen one thirty, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So here I am, just a simple man. Well, it will give me understanding. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. At first glance, this does not seem like a title for scripture. And I, I grant that. But it's a cinnamon for scripture. Take, for example, uh, Psalms 34:11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You could substitute fear of the Lord for other titles. Come unto me, children, I will teach you the law of the Lord. Come unto me, children, I will teach you the commandments of the Lord. Come unto me, children, I will teach you the precepts of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It's a cinnamon for the word of God. And the fear of the Lord is to have proper reverence, respect, and worship of God. So we have the Bible, I talked about it earlier, as a manual. The Bible is a manual for proper worship. It instructs us how to worship and it instructs us how not to worship. It's the norm for people to worship. I worship, so do you. You are a worshiper and you are a worshiper this morning. You may know whom you worship. Or what you worship, or you may not be aware of whom or what you worship, but you do. There is hero worship, celebrity worship, product worship, work worship, self-worship, money worship, power worship, experience worship. And the scripture tells us who we are to worship and how. We are to worship the eternal God, the triune God. We are to worship him with reverence. We are to not use his name in vain. We are to um, worship him in obedience and in respect and in love. We are to worship the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. The fear of the Lord, this worship is clean. False worship is always corrupting. You know that you know some people worship power <laughs> and you know that that classic saying about power power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, you can put that with any other kind of worship that's not the true worship of God and it's corrupting. It's not clean. We are not to make idols and worship anything else. We are to worship our God, the judge of all the earth, the one whom no one can see and live, the one who dwells in light. And the Father seeks those to worship him. He seeks those worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. The fear of the Lord, the worship of the Lord, the word of the Lord, it's clean. And it endures forever. It's enduring forever. And I'll just tell you, and this is from the message, I think from last Sunday, I believe. Remember the words in 1 John chapter 2, the familiar words? What endures forever? 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for the, if a man love the world, worship the world, the love or the worship of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of light, all that is worship, is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the fear of the Lord is clean, endureth forever. The word worship of God is eternal. The judgments going on here, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the judgments of the Lord are true. So the judge makes a ruling talk about judgment we're talking about a judge someone who makes a judgment and it's a just judgment and i'm thinking i thought this morning as i was preparing a thought of uh, the supreme court of the united states and they make judgments and depending on how many liberals and how many conservatives are on that judge on that court rather it depends which way the decision goes Because the one part looks at the Constitution this way and interprets it this way, the other side looks at the Constitution this way and interprets it that way. And so you have often a split decision, 5 4, either way. That's the way the judgment goes. And the decision of the majority is called an opinion good opinion I think that's right <laughs> it's an opinion and those who voted against it though they lost they given dissenting opinion there's nothing like that going on in heaven <laughs> Not nothing like that the word is a just judgment and it is absolutely true and right the question is has only one answer is the one that Abraham asked. He said when uh, talking about, uh, when he's pleading for for, uh, Sodom, he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? There's only one answer. Of course he will. And he has, and it's in his word. Just the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That's the effect of true judgment, righteous altogether. The wording looks like it's referring to the judgment, but it's actually not. It's referring to anyone who is under the influence and acceptance of the word. Righteous altogether. This word This judgment is complete. The Word of God is complete. It's sufficient. It leaves nothing out. It's comprehensive. Okay? And this comprehensive, complete, sufficient Word produces complete, comprehensive righteousness in those people who give themselves. To this word. So we can say it this way the comprehensive word produces comprehensive righteousness. The final and end result of the word of God in its acceptance is righteousness. You will love and obey and worship God aright, and you will love and treat people aright. There will be a joyful, there will be a faithful, there will be a disciplined. there will be a virtuous and a pure life. There will be a loving for the truth. That is the outcome of someone who accepts this word of God. Who accepts it as true and yields himself to it. And actually to this the apostle Uh, Paul agrees. We have some very familiar verses in 2 Timothy. We're talking about what the word of God does and what its effects are. Okay, In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. That's what the word of God does. That's the effect of the word of God. Perfect, complete, mature. Thoroughly equipped for all, every good work, a man of God or a woman of God. So, where am I at? Well, (laughs) I have not arrived. I don't know if you have. But let's keep on going, and let's, let's go on with this psalm. Now we're at the division, at the end of the division about the word, the word book. The world book of God is magnificent, but the word book is perfect and it's complete, and it's sufficient, and it's eternal. The characteristics of this word are they're perfect, they're sure, they're right, they're pure, they're clean, and they're true. The benefits of the effects, of the, or benefits, or the effects of the word word is it converts the soul? It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It makes one comprehensively righteous. Since that is true, what would be a natural response? In verse ten, more to be desired are they than Gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Because of what scripture is, because of what it does, because of, of its very character, because of where it comes from, scripture is worth more than a million dollars. A million dollars, or a million dollar home, or a million dollar car, or a million dollar business, or a million dollar look. And it's better than the sweetest or the richest food. Think of all the pleasure you can get from food. The word of God is to be desired more than that. If you were in the dark, locked up in a hut, With a poisonous snake, what would you want? Would you want a lot of gold right now? Would you want some delicious dessert? Or would you want light? The word of God is more to be desired than anything else you could imagine. Light is of a premium value, especially since this light comes from God. It is our most valuable possession. I remember a story. Any of your children still awake? I remember a story that I read, and maybe you read the story too. It's one of the Bible story books given by Aunt Uncle Arthur's, I think. But there was a rainy day, and the children were bored, they had to stay in the house and they had one, two, three, four children, I think. And they were all bored and they all were getting on each other's nerves. So mom set up a game. She said, Okay, said I want you to find out the most valuable thing in this house. Okay, so they all the children all scattered and they went and at it in different places and and after a while they came back and little little Whatever her name is, came back and mom said, What did you bring for me? She said, Well, just me. Okay, well, she had to hug her for a while because she was special, but she wasn't thinking about her. Then, with the next one there and said, "Uh, What do you bring? Well, she went up in the attic and found some trinkets, some, Wow, I haven't seen that for years. But no, no, that's not what it is. And the other child came with something else. The oldest child was thinking and was thinking around, walking. What is it that's the most valuable in this house? And walking over in the bookshelf, and saw the Bible. And so the oldest child came to the mother and, "I found this," he said. "Yep, that's the most valuable thing in this house. <clears throat> the Word of God is more to be desired than gold, even much gold." And it produces a reward. And Okay, here, sorry. Moreover, by them, by the word of God, is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Scripture is our greatest treasure. It is also our greatest protector. It warns us of the snake and the danger and the damage and the destruction and the loss and the chaos and the devastation of the snake. It will warn us. Thy servant is warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward, because it goes into eternity. It's our greatest profit. We think of making investments and think of accrued interest or thinking of value. The word of God is, is the one who follows it. Is, is the reward is, is hugely more than anything else that we have here. And I'm skipping over a few things here. Oh, yeah, here, I should read this one. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, Psalms 1. And here's the reward. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his seed in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So in keeping them, there is great reward. You know, we shouldn't... There, There is rewards to following the word of God now, but we shouldn't look, we shouldn't obey God for the rewards we get now. That's not the focus. The focus is on serving God and the eternal rewards, keeping an eye on there. Verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. So we had the last one is that the word of God will warn us. Here we have the word of God as a purifier who can understand his errors. If we compare ourselves with other people, we can always find someone else who's worse than we. And we can we're always better than somebody. But if we compare ourselves to the word of God, it it has a purifying effect because the word of God. It's comprehensive. And it produces this comprehensive righteousness as we yield to it. And verse 13, and this is actually a prayer here. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. Presumptuous sins are sins that are done deliberately. Deliberately. We're not talking about you knowing it, but you're failing a temptation, but you're not caring. It's, I don't care. I don't, and, and you presumptuous sin. There's actually a verse in Hebrews that says, has this, and this is talking about the Old Testament. Um, for if we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That's the presumptuous sin. And it's A very, very bad sin. It's the great transgression. It's a presumptuous sin. And there's a prayer. Lord, Lord, keep me. It's a prayer. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. talk about sins in general. Then I shall be upright and shall be innocent from that great transgression. And then verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And that is a cry for purity, and it ends in worship. O Lord, my strength, my rock, my my place of stability. Lord, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. See, God has always been reaching out to mankind. The whole way back from, and he said to Adam, Adam, where art thou? God has always been pursuing man, mankind. The word of God is like an MRI. It it discloses, it gives a diagnosis, it reveals, in other words, there's something wrong with us. There's, there's a growth inside of us and it's affecting us negatively. So you go to an MRI and it, it reveals what's wrong. And it, and it, uh, not only is something wrong, but whatever is wrong is going to get a lot, a lot, a lot worse. (laughs) Unless something is done. So the the word of God is like an MRI. It will expose what's wrong with us. But it also is like a surgeon. The word is, is, is quick and it's powerful. It's alive. The word of God then can go inside of us and it can cut out the part that is diseased and is destructive and cuts it out. The word of God does that. It brings then restoration Healing and wholeness, and it deals with not just our actions, but our motives. It goes right to the very center and exposes and reveals and then heals from that, from that heart. One other, one other thing I should uh, mention is the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, but not one jot. And not one tittle will pass away of the word of God until all is fulfilled. What I get from that is God is actually very, very careful with his words. He's so careful that there's not one jot, not one tittle that will pass away. God is careful with his word. He, he said what he means, and he means what he said. And we need to believe that he means what he said. Everything that he said. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. That means everything that we have will pass away, but not the content of what we have in our Bible. <clears throat> so we have the word of God this morning. I could I could talk but I won't anymore. I could talk about a few things about the attacks on the word of God, but I think that's another lesson. I think we have enough this morning. That if we take the word of God, this treasure, if we take it seriously, we have the we have the the benefits and the effects of the word of God is very desirable, and I would recommend each one of us to get Into this word, put the word of God. And think of everything that you, everything that you have in life. Let the word of God be number one in your life. I mean, it doesn't mean you spend it the most hours. It does that, but when it comes to priority, the word of God is what is the answer for us. So why don't we just kneel? Before the Lord, in a little bit of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us light, the light of your word, which illuminates us. Lord, you have given us abundant light, extravagant light, more than enough light for us. Lord, it's our hearts that are the problem. It's our hearts, Lord, that get drawn away and deceived. And, and um, yes, Lord, when the devil comes with enticements and other things, it's our hearts that do that. Lord, we come before you this morning. I can thank you and in worship, thanking you for the word of God. We also come to you in repentance, Lord, where we have failed to put your word, number one, where we have listened to other wisdoms. Man's wisdoms, the changing wisdoms of whatever, psychology and, psych- and, and uh, other forms of philosophy and other things like that, Lord. And we put confidence and trust in those things rather than your word. So, Lord, I pray be with each one of us and for any of us, Lord, who have not accepted your word. I pray, Lord, that this would settle on their hearts to come to grips with your word, with the MRI, with the diagnosis that your word gives, and come for healing. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.